Father, as we get into the Word, once again, we ask for you to reveal Jesus to all of us. We pray, Lord, that our ears, our eyes, our hearts will be open to receive, Lord, what you desire to deposit in us and through us. Please be with me, and I commit and submit every preparation I've done, Lord, for this, that you will anoint it and bring it to life for all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We live in a society uh, that is always jostling for our attention. Singaporeans are busy people, and we have messages thrown at us from all over the place. Now, I came from an industry that was probably, or that is, that is responsible for some of this uh, naughty things in throwing messages at you, bombarding you with advertising, uh, with sales, with promotion, with nice, beautiful pictures. And if you are a marketing student, they will always teach you this one word to say, what we have today is called clutter. Clutter. How do you cut through this clutter so that you can be noticed, that you can stand out of this clutter, that people will, uh, you will get the attention of your target audience? So that was what I was involved in. We were always looking for that wow factor, the just noticeable difference, the unique selling proposition. And in advertising, in marketing, you know, we won't lie, right? We're not, uh, we, well, we're not allowed to lie. We tell the truth. We just stretch it a little bit uh, and make it sound a little bit more attractive. And interestingly, when I left the advertising business and I went into the work of the ministry, in one of my research papers, I wanted to look at marketing and I realized that its origin and its roots of advertising and marketing, you find it in evangelism. Because in the early years, when the evangelists were going out and they were declaring the good news, so to speak, you know, they were really advertising. They, they, were, they, were, they were communicating that one big point and drawing people, hopefully, into the congregation. And soon later, this would include things like testimonies and other news, other church stuff. Now, today, you and I know that church marketing is a very big thing. Very, very big thing. It continues to be a big debate even at a corporate level. And I'm sharing this introduction with you because today we're going to get into a topic that actually discusses this. And Jesus addresses this point or at least this principle with his disciples when it comes to this point about publicity and trying to gain some attention from people. So if your Bibles are open, let's read this passage in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 to 4. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Now this passage in Matthew 6, this first four verses, it actually begins a new section. If you have been journeying with us, we have just gone through one whole segment where Jesus 
finishes examples of righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees. And primarily, he was addressing a misinterpretation of the law. So you have the pair. You have heard it said this way, but I say to you. And in the last lesson, we ended with this one verse in verse 48 of chapter 5, where it says, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And you know perfect does not mean to be sinless, but it does point to a wholeness, a completeness of maturity. Now we look at this one verse and we say, well, so was it a summary? But then again, Jesus continues with the next segment. So you can look at it as if he concludes this as a summary, or this verse could well be an introduction into this next segment. So he says, I want you to be perfect as my heavenly father and your heavenly father is perfect. Now, I'm going to teach you how not to do certain things and what is the correct way of doing certain things. So we are starting this whole segment where Jesus teaches this, how not to give, how not to pray, how not to fast, how not to lay up your treasures on earth and how not to worry. That's the entire chapter 6. Interestingly, if you look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 21, In counseling the rich young ruler, Jesus actually used these words. If you want to be perfect, the same word again, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor. So Jesus' teaching on on perfection, as it were, uh, with the young man, it was if you want to be perfect, then you learn how to give to the poor. And from the Sermon on the Mount here, immediately after he says, be perfect, he goes on to teach you how to give to the poor. Now, in the New King James, that's the version I read to you, we see these words, charitable deeds. Now, depending on the version that you have, you may not find these two words. So let's have a look at what these two words actually really mean. Now, from the Greek, these two words would have been drawn from a root word of mercy or of compassion. In other words, doing things out of your mercy, out of feeling for someone, having compassion for someone, and it would be related directly to the giving of alms, charitable things, charity, the things that we do for people who are in need, and specifically, of course, money given to the poor. But if you have a different version in the English Standard or the New International, they would translate it this way, beware of practicing your righteousness, or be careful not to do your acts of righteousness. Suddenly, you don't have the charitable deeds. You don't have the understanding of giving to the poor. But if you look at the original text, to be true to the text, this is what this teaching is all about. Okay? I want you to keep that in mind because as we talk more about giving to the poor, we will learn certain principles. But these principles can be easily extended to the way we practice righteousness. Is it not correct to say that giving to the poor is an act of righteousness, right? That is a righteous deed. It's a good thing to do. It's a right thing to do because the law commands the people to do it. And so you can extend this principle or whatever we are talking about this in this teaching to the acts of righteousness that we do, to the ministries that we might be serving in, to the assignments that we have received that we are fulfilling. Any practice even that you can think about of personal piety, um, of prayer, of devotion, 
any religious duty that we are performing, this whole teaching can be extended to it. Okay? And I thought this would be good for us to know before we get specifically to understand more about almsgiving. Now, almsgiving became a weekly system of free will offering. In other words, there, there will be like our churches where we say, okay, fine, you know, this week we'll designate an offering that we'll take for the society of this, you know, or for the benefit of uh, this home, something like that. Yeah? But for them, this would have been a weekly system and it is a free will offering dedicated to help the poor and the needy. Now, they held this in a very, very high regard and a very important thing because in their writings... The rabbis actually recorded this, that prayer with fasting is good, but better than both is almsgiving with righteousness. A little with righteousness is better than wealth with wrongdoing. Now, you know that's taken from the scriptures. It is better to give alms than to lay up gold. For almsgiving saves from death and purges away every sin. Those who give alms will enjoy a full life. So they held it so high to a point that if you would do this, it actually adds to or brings you as a means of atonement and even your salvation. In the next reading, I give to you that as water extinguishes a blazing fire, so almsgiving atones for sin. That was how important it was for them. Now before we look at them and we say and poo-poo them to say, oh, you know, this is works righteousness, you know, you have to work to be saved. And I think we have to remind ourselves that salvation for us, although by grace through faith, we have to work out our salvation also that if we are indeed truly saved, we should learn to practice that we become perfect, not because we are working to be saved, but we are working out that salvation. And so their belief was the more they gave, the greater their righteousness. Now again, not necessarily wrong, but you will agree with me, it's very easy to go off track with even that one line. Okay? Let's see what the Old Testament says about almsgiving, giving to the poor and the needy. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 10 and 11, it says, You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. Verse 11, For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. Now, I, I believe Jesus was quoting this or alluding to this when he said in John chapter 12, verse 8, remember? For the poor you will have with you always, but me you do not have always. He actually declared this one statement, and it's an Old Testament reference. See, giving to the poor is commanded, is provided for in the law. It's expected of God's people. It's almost God sort of preempted this. You know, He, he knows and he knew that there would be an unequal distribution of wealth. It's just going to happen. And because of the sinfulness of men or the fallenness of humanity, somehow some would do better and some would do not as well. Some will hoard more and some will lose more. And there will be this income gap. And so the law provides for that to say, look, you must give to the poor. 
You have to look after them. And it's God's grace and God's understanding of that situation that he gave this command for his people. In fact, if you look further and study more deeply, you know, last year we kept talking about the Jubilee, right? The Jubilee after 50 years. God also put in that Jubilee principle. That was the whole thing. It was to address this. That after 50 years, the reset button would be pressed and everyone reverts back to family land, receive back the property, you know, go back to whatever you have lost will be restored and everyone starts back at the same point once more. What's the problem? The Jubilee was never practiced. The Jubilee was never practiced. And so on the surface, the Pharisees, the people, they kept the law. They gave to the poor. It doesn't say they didn't give. They, they did give to the poor. Jesus didn't say that they didn't give, right? Jesus was saying, you've got to check the motivation of your giving. And this is what Jesus was addressing. Once again, there's nothing wrong with giving to the poor. There's nothing wrong with giving a lot to the poor. But they were doing it in a certain way. Now, I call this next section, Lights, Camera, Action, Okay, because in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Now, Jesus goes straight for that main point. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory for men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Now, why do I call this lights, camera, action? Because that one phrase, to be seen, is translated from the Greek that comes from a root word, theatron, which means the theater. And that one word means to, to wonder, to admire, to behold, to view attentively. And that's what we do at the cinemas, right? Now today there's sense around and the, your chair can even shake and quiver. It's now not 3D, it's 4D. And Jesus says, no, don't, don't wayang like that. There's no need to drama in your giving. Don't have to put on a show. You don't have to heap on the, the theatrics so that you will get people's attention to look at you. You don't have to put on a performance. Now you think a little bit, in today's culture, we're talking 2,000 years later. I think we have a big challenge, you know. We have social media, we have Facebook, we have YouTube. Now you think about the culture today, everything is wayang. Everything is pulling for our attention. You know, how can we craft a headline so that we will, we will grab you to come and attend to a meeting, to listen a little bit more, you know, and we will just let you have a little, let you know a little bit, but not enough so that you will come and you want to know a little bit more, you know, and we'll entice you. We have our day of charismatic leaders and, and pastors and very entertaining, very engaging. I told you, you know, the pastors today, they cannot just only preach. They have to do the moonwalk or maybe do a handstand. And maybe the offering will go up a little bit more. Worship leaders, worship bands, right? To get your attention, we say, oh, no, no, we have to switch off the lights so that the focus will be up on the stage. Now, I know that's not giving to the poor, but I told you the principle can all be, can be extended to, to each and every one of these things. 
But Jesus says, beware. Beware. Take heed. When you, when you give, when, when you pray, when you fast, when you do these things, don't draw attention to yourself. No need. Don't have to do this. Don't be like the hypocrites. Now, if you're going to have a theater, you need actors. And the word hypocrite comes from the Greek hypocrites, which means to act or to pretend. So don't be like these who are giving. I mean, they're really giving, but they're pretending that they really love to give, that their hearts are really for the poor. They're pretending because Jesus exposes that intent and that motivation. They're doing it so that people can see them, that they can perform. Was he pointing a finger at the Pharisees? I believe so. Was he talking about the rich people? Very possibly. In Mark chapter 12, 38 to 44, Jesus says to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best seats and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense, make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Now you notice what Jesus was contrasting their performance with. They will do all these things, they desire all these things, they crave all these things, but they devour widows' houses. It's scary, right? Uh, we can be doing all these things, and we can be doing the exact opposite of the Spirit of the law and still not notice it. And when we go through a teaching like that, we have to keep asking and pondering, have we been showy? Have our churches been showy? Have our ministries been showy? Have our acts been showy? Have we drawn some attention that perhaps unwittingly we may not have been aware of, you know, but let the Spirit convict us. And it's tough to prepare a message like this because each time I'm reading the Scripture, I'm going, ouch, oh, ah, oh, you know, and it's painful because I know I've been guilty every now and then to want to draw more attention to how, how well perhaps we've been doing or make something sound a little bit better than it really is. Jesus looks at the Pharisees exposes them and says, look, these guys are, are hypocrites. They are pretenders, they are actors, they are like acting out in this scene and they are waiting for the encore. It's like, oh, do it again. Oh, you, you're so nice people. Oh, your ministry. Oh, you're such a blessing. Encore. Can you almost imagine, right? Standing ovation. Throw flowers. And for these people, it's like, yeah, man, I'm doing good. I'm keeping the law. But Jesus says, no, 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 that's, that's, that's a wrong way, okay? This is absolutely wrong. We know this story very well, the widow's two mites. And the passage that I read for you about the scribes who devoured the widow's houses, it comes directly before this very familiar passage that we know. But the contrast is that Jesus was sitting opposite the treasury and he saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites. And that's why we have this widow's two mites. 
Because we have heard many teachings about this to say, when you want to give, you must give your all. So whenever you write email to me and you give me your advice and you say, I've only given you my two cents. I say, well, that's everything, you know. Huh? Sometimes we think two cents means I've only given you a little bit. Oh, no, 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 no. If you have given me your two cents, you have given me your 100%. Praise the Lord. But that's a teaching in itself. But the contrast we must not miss. Jesus saw the rich people, how they put in the money. Now, if you know this teaching, then you read this passage, then the word how jumps out at you suddenly. How? Can you imagine? I, I'm a visual person. Did they just go and just drop in something? Or did they go and drop in something? Or, you know, they just show, oh, look at, oh, look at these heavy bags that I'm dragging. How did they give? I think that was the point that Jesus was making. And they gave a lot. And if, the, if they were all coins, can you imagine the, the jackpot type sound without the bells? By the way, I don't play jackpot. I just know they make that sound. <laughs> so the rich would make a big show, but at the end, they're not really interested in the beneficiary. If they were, there was a widow right before them. They're not interested where the money really goes. They, they just want to know that if I do this, you just give me all that praise. See how good I am. See how spiritual I am. See how generous I am. See how righteous I am. Oh, my mansion in the sky is going to be real big. I'm reminded that back in my advertising days, the client had just finished a very big project. It was a charity auction. And what they did was they auctioned off in as part of the anniversary celebration, they auctioned off a certain item. And then the money that came in would be given to a certain charity. And it went well. It was covered in the newspapers. Uh, it was successful. Finally came the time for them to present the check and have a meeting with this charity. And the charity, of course, thanked them. And I was there as a young advertising guy, listening in and just learning. They gave the check and the then the, the, the charity then asked, oh, is there other ways that we might be able to work with you in the future? And I'll never forget this one line. Whether he meant it or not, this is what the client said. The client said, oh, sure, we can, we can definitely work together. I mean, it went well. The newspaper covered it. You know, we got a lot of press. Um, our brand name, our brand share probably would have gone up. So it went very well. We can work together. As a young man, I listened to that and my heart just sank. It's like... You, you don't care one bit about this beneficiary. You don't care how the money is spent. You don't know where it's going. As long as your brand name and your brand share goes up. Now, that's in a secular world. The question is, do we do it in the church? Are we guilty of that kind of a thinking even in the church? And I suggest to you, I'm not saying every church is guilty of that, but if we don't put our hand on our heart, if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to help us in this, we could just miss it. Just recently, we were talking about a certain need to reach the marginalized. We were just in a group of brothers and sisters. We were, we were just chatting. We just each had, had a heart. I was talking about kingdom assignments, you know. And they each had a role in, in reaching out to different types of people. And we spoke about the marginalized. And one brother shared this. And I'm keeping this very general so that it will not reveal too much. And his point was very simply this. He said, you must understand this. Church has got uh, uh, limited resources. We have a, a sum of money that we have to spend, and we've got this, this, that, 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 that. 
And somehow, reaching out to the marginalized takes a lot of effort. Not only that, we know it takes a lot of effort, but it also takes a lot of time. Meaning to say, you can minister to a certain group of marginalized, and it may take years before even one or two might come into the church. And so from an organizational thinking point of view, that's not a, a good performance indicator. You understand? It's not, it's not money well spent in that area. It's easier to invest into a cell group to multiply that. And if I have 10 cell groups, at the end of the year I have 30 cell groups, my church has grown. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Okay. And so because of that, that the indicators are not coming in fast enough or visibly enough, subconsciously, I suppose, you know, these things are neglected or they are not really adopted. And I, I think we have to ask ourselves, you see, it's easy to, to point at a certain organization and say the leaders should be doing some things like that. But we are, we are keepers awakening, right or not? We are keepers that, that should be aware, not apathetic. We don't have to keep pointing fingers. The question is, if our hearts are stirred, will we allow the Lord to align us and that we begin to do something about this? See, the world looks for brand share. The question is, does the church also look for the same? So Jesus is really reminding the people, don't, don't do these things for show. I mean, the money coming in is nice, you know, but... Don't do these things for show. Because if you do that, then you would have received your reward. That's it. You've got your dues. That's done. I said, but okay, then, then Jesus, what do you want us to do? And I said, well, I think Jesus wants us to join His Majesty's Secret Service. I wish I could do a James Bond theme right now. Yeah, those of you who are old enough will remember on Her Majesty's Secret Service. I think we should be on Our Majesty's our Lord's secret service. He says, when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will Himself reward you openly. These are the Lord's words. If you want to do any of these things, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, imagine with me for a while. If your, one of your hand or your arm does something, do you think the other arm would know? Immediately it will know. It's a near impossibility to hide that. And so I believe Jesus was stretching this idiom or using this idiom to stretch that imagination to say, however difficult it is, however impossible it is, you know, strive for it. Keep it as quiet as possible. Keep it as hidden as you can. And the word secret comes from the Greek kryptos, where we get the English word cryptic, right? If you say something cryptic, someone really doesn't understand it, it's hidden, it's concealed somewhere. That's the intention of Jesus. He says, if you need to do something, just keep it as low-key as possible. It's all right, you know. Don't draw any attention to it. Anyone struggle with that? It's really tough, you know. It is. Because by, by nature, we, if we do something good, we want someone to know, Right? We want someone to notice, even if it's just a little bit. Also can. Okay, we, because we, we crave that, either that 
affirmation. We crave that encouragement. We crave that affirmation. But the Lord says, no, no, no. no. You, you do this in secret. Then He gives a promise. He says, because your Father sees in secret. God knows everything. I love this assurance. You know, sometimes in the work of the ministry or when you're, when you're helping someone, you're caring for someone, you feel very alone. You, you think you're the only one, right? And even if you're caring for someone who's not well, sure, brothers and sisters can come to the hospital, can visit, can, can drop in every once in a while. But guess what? The other 80% of the time, man, you're on your own. And it's tiring. It's like, Lord, no one knows. I'm all alone. But Jesus is saying, look, whatever is done in secret, don't worry. God knows everything. God sees everything. You can hide from everyone, but you cannot hide from God. And that's a beautiful assurance that Jesus says, there is nothing that will be hidden from Him. Now this can be good and bad, huh? because if you have the wrong motive, that is also not hidden from the Lord. But if you hide that act well, or you are able to do this in secret, your Father who sees in secret, I love this promise, He will reward you openly. Openly. And you're going to find that the rewards, perhaps the praise, the encouragement, it will surprise you somehow. And it can be openly. And that you don't even have to ask for. And that will be the true reward that comes from the Father. Now, some of which I believe we will receive in this lifetime. But I'm also one who believes that it is not in this lifetime only that we live for. Amen? We live for something that, that far exceeds this earthly time that we have down here. That when we meet with the Lord, there will be rewards also for all of us to receive. Praise God. Right? And we've got to remember that. That God is the one that, that notes all these things. You know, in Revelation, it says that the books will be open, you know. God keeps little records for, of us all. And it's not the book of life only. You're talking about book of life and the other books. Now, all the jalat thing also down there. La. Okay? All the missed one also down there. La. Okay? And that's why <laughs> we have to be very uh, mindful, okay, and ask the Lord to help us in that. Okay. So this was the teaching that Jesus was very simply bringing across. Don't worry, young. Don't bring attention to yourself. Just be content. You know, do this in secret because our Father knows. He knows exactly where we are and why we do it. And so for the rest of this time, I'm going to run through quickly, always, some applications and perhaps some safeguards and maybe build even upon what already I've shared with you. Let's go a little bit more deeply into this. Firstly, Jesus says, take heed. Now that's a warning. Big warning. Take heed because this one word is a nautical term, prosecco. It means to haul a ship in direction so that it can sail or continue to sail towards, obviously towards a destination. So if you imagine yourself as this vessel, take heed. Be careful. Heed this warning because you have one destination. Amen? You're going to meet with the Lord. You don't want to turn to the left, to the right, 
You're keeping your eyes fixed upon Jesus. You're running this race. You don't want to veer, not even a little bit. Because if you veer off course, you're taken off then. And you can go wayward or not even reach your destination. And as I reflect on this, I realize that the acts of righteousness, the things that we do, the religious duties that we perform, the ministries or the assignments that we have, they can, if we're not careful, can have a deceptive power over all of us. Is that true? Right? I mean, we can start out with good intentions. Every ministry, I suppose, every Christian starts out with the good intention. But as you begin to collect points, so to speak, huh? as you begin to get a little bit more experience, if we're not careful, if you don't take heed, if you don't check your bearings, if you don't check your alignment, man, your motive can go out of whack. Your compass reading can be wrong and you can veer. This will result in a performance-based righteousness. You think, you see, I, I'm faithful, I'm good, I'm better than you, I'm more anointed, I'm all these things. And you start to compare. It can also result in powerless godliness. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. In the last days, people will be lovers of this, lovers of that, haughty, proudful, blasphemous, and so on, lovers of themselves. Now, if you crave the praise of men, guess what? You are a lover of yourself. And these would have a form of godliness, but you will deny the power. There is no power of transformation at all. And then in the very next verse, Paul actually warns, from such people, stay away. Stay away. What's the funny thing? It is to such people we are attracted. It's real. It's really upside down. Come on, let's own up. We look at the wow, so anointed. Wow, so good. Wow, so spiritual. Must follow la. Maybe I catch the anointing. Is it? Now, of course, we have to discern. I'm not saying everyone who moves in, in a in a seemingly successful ministry is a bad person. That's not my point. We have to learn how to see this. But you see, we have to check our hearts because we might want to follow because we also crave that same attention. It can result, obviously, in pride. And pride is a big blind spot that we, we can't see until we, are, we, we fall and we are duly humbled. It will obviously uh, attract the praise of men and that's what we will have. We will feel, we'll feel good about ourselves and that takes us even more off course. Do you think it's a good warning? It's a relevant one. It's a real warning for all of us, and especially for, for those in the front line. It's not easy. Heed the warning. Take heed. Take heed. Secondly, in terms of giving to the poor, give as the Lord would direct you. Now, this again is an alignment issue. If your hearts are aligned with the heartbeat of God, then you will have a heart for the poor, and the needy. Cannot, cannot force you. Okay? Because to force you is just to squeeze some dollars out of you and your motivation is also not correct. Worse yet, after you give, you think, I've done my part. I'm so good. Have a heart for the poor and needy. If it's real and you're, you're very clear that there's a need, you know, some things like that, don't need to pray on. Just give. It's Okay. Give as you are able to, not under compulsion. If you're able to, you, you, you give. 
And you don't have to tell others that you give from your own pocket. You don't have to tell people how many people you're supporting. All that not necessary. Because God sees in secret. Amen? Yeah? Learn how to sow into ministries, into missions, third world nations especially. Of course, a word of caution, we must be careful, right? Because there are always people who, who want to jump on that bandwagon. But as, they, as you do this, whether is it through the church or the ministry or to, uh, uh, directly, you don't need your name to be fleshed out on the screen. But we, we don't need that. Do we then need to tell someone, say, if you, if you give X dollars, you know, I, I, will, I will print your name on Bibles to, to thank you. Um, maybe if you give this, um, you can donate a pew. Please donate a pew, right? Donate a brick. Fine, donate an entire room. It's okay. But once my name goes on the pew, I've got my reward. And I think my father knows how to reward me much better. Okay, I hope I'm not stepping on toes. I'm just making a comment because I've been through that system myself and it sounds good. We want to honour that person. We want to acknowledge. I know all these things. Don't get me wrong. But I'm asking now, as we read this, do we really want to do that? Do we need to do that? It's different if you honour someone who has passed on, you know, or they didn't really ask for it, but you want to do that. Give as the Lord directs. Be a faithful steward of God's resources. Because that's the Spirit of the Lord. We're to help those who are in need. The third thing is, remember who and why you serve. I don't presume we all serve with the right motives. Sometimes people don't even know why they serve. They're just told that as good Christians, this is what you must do. But don't serve or don't give just to make yourself better or less guilty or more important. And I tell you, those in the frontline ministries will always struggle with the temptation of glory and of praise. And don't think that the backroom ministries or the people who serve quietly, they don't struggle, they do. They will always struggle with, you know, am I being left out or not? You know, do they realize, do they notice that I'm there or not? And once in a while, it's good to reflect and ask yourself, will you still serve if no one notices at all? Will you still serve if no one says anything? Will you still serve if no one appreciates you? Or do you find yourself getting angry, get, getting upset, getting offended, and you say, I, I don't want to do anymore. You know, if you don't appreciate me, I will take my services to Church B. Right? And you go to Church B and Church B welcomes you and suddenly you find that Church B is not really appreciative either. It's only a matter of time you find yourself in Church C. Because you're always craving for something to do, for someone to notice you. And if you're offended, if you're angry now and you don't want to do any more, can I just welcome you back, dear Archippus? <laughs> that you should take heed to the ministry which you have been given by the Lord. Amen? That you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. There's restoration, there's healing at the cross. You don't serve men in the first place. You serve God. Alright? So, always go back and review. Why are you serving? Why are you serving? Point number four. Aim to please God, not man. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 to 24, it talks about bond servants. Obey in all things, 
your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleases. Alright, don't just please your bosses or please your leaders or please your pastors, just with eye service. You know what's eye service, right? That if they can see you, then you do that. Oh, or you do sweet, sweet, nice, nice, pretty, pretty. But the moment the, the person go away, you, oh, you are like, don't know whether saved or not. I've heard these things before. I mean, look, I've been in the pastoral. I've, I've worked to church staff. And sometimes it's, it's sad. You, you find that as brothers and sisters, we are very nice to one another. But the moment one of yours becomes, goes into a, become a church staff, you begin to treat this person not very well. Church staff don't get treated well, you know. But members treat each other very well. So moral of the story, stay a member. And then they will talk, complain, do all these kind of things, complain to the staff. But when the pastor comes, everyone very nice. No one says anything. See, all happens in the church. We know it. These are, this is eye service. It's man pleasers. I mean, the other way can happen also, where the pastor or the leader only serves to please the people so that he, will, he or she will preach messages in a way that will not offend. But whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. And here comes that phrase again. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Who are we serving? Jesus Christ. He's our Lord. He's our Master. Do the very best. My, my favorite statement is always this. Wherever you're working, whatever you are doing, whether in a business, in a company, in a church, in a ministry, you are on kingdom secondment. You're seconded. Okay, that means your reporting line goes all the way up to HQ. And one day you will meet with the boss of the bosses. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Right? And so don't just curry favor, please people here, please people there, but upset God. Aim to please God and not man. See, the funny thing is that the world teaches us how to position ourselves to be noticed. But the kingdom teaches us to be hidden. And whatever you do, you just do your very, very best. However you give, you give with the correct heart because God will see in secret. And don't worry about that promotion. Okay, if, if you're trying to wrangle for a promotion, this is the world's way is not the way to do it. Serve the Lord. He's the one. And He's the one that will give you the promotion as and when He deems fit and ready. Point number five. Don't exaggerate. Don't hype. I'm not a fisherman, but I'm told that fishermen have a big challenge and a big temptation, right? You know, when they come back from their fishing trip, they, always, they will always say, Oh, do you know the one that got away? Oh, it was a big one. It was like, whoa, it's that huge. Now the question is, you and I are not there to verify how big that fish was, right? But they will tell you, it was a big one. It was that big. Our tendency is always to make things sound more glamorous, to make it sound bigger, to make it sound better, to make it sound more anointed. We are always wanting to impress with, with numbers and more numbers. You don't realize it until you're in that position of trying to have to describe something to someone else. And maybe it's, the, it's a very Singaporean thing now when, when pastors get together, oh, which church? Oh, which? Oh, yeah. Then the next question is, how big is your church? What's the size of your congregation? We are literally sizing one another up. 
And so I struggled with this for the last two years when I would talk to someone and I'm in my own ministry now called Keepers Awakening and it was, oh, how's the ministry? And I can't tell them how big my congregation is. I cannot tell them whether my office is, you know, big enough or not. I've got no, nothing to show for it, you understand? And it's crazy. What numbers do you hold on to? And yet, confession time, okay? Somehow, I can squeeze a number out. I can. I, I show you, okay? We have done two awakening events. We have run three seminars. <laughs> Isn't it funny, right? These are the things that we have done, you know. Uh, uh, 300 old people came for this one. Oh, 60 people came from this one. We have pronounced this over this. Why? Because I, I you understand, we are, we are pressured to, to compare with one another. Now, there's not, nothing wrong with sharing a number. The point is, don't hide. Don't exaggerate. And we are prone to doing that. There's no need to jostle for attention. You don't have to claim credit all the time. You know, I for one as a minister, if I pray for you and, and something uh, that goes well, you have a breakthrough. I feel good. I'm encouraged, right? And I would love to say, I prayed for this guy. It was my prayer. Four or five years ago, we were in Cambodia, right? And so we meet this pastor. Her name is called Pastor Wendy. She runs the Cambodian uh, school there, local, Singaporean. First time my, my meeting her. After she shows us around this new school complex and so on, we ended up in her living room together with the rest of her teachers and her staff. And she requested, can your team pray for us? And so being the leader of the team, of course, everyone looks at you, right? And so you stand there and yet you're praying for her and the entire team. Blessing, protection, favor, provision, everything. Huh? You know the works. We go off and we do our teaching for the next three days, come back to Singapore, feeling good about the entire experience. And then two days later, we receive a text. Pastor Wendy was murdered. I tell you, the number of questions that went through my mind. I prayed. I asked for protection. Asked, you mean my prayer, no power? No anointing? Uh? What happened? You know, my prayer not answered or something like this. You know? I mean... When someone gets a breakthrough, we're ready to claim that credit. Lah, you know? But when someone dies, uh, I don't want to be associated. <laughs> but God is bigger than that, is He not? Right? So there's no need to, to claim credit all the time. Let your yea be yea, and your nay, nay. Nothing more, nothing less. Point number six, honour those in secret service. Learn how to do that. Our tendency is only to notice those that we see that are bigger, they are larger than life, they have more impressive assignments, uh, crossing the seas, doing big things. But there are many with assignments that are hidden. And they serve behind the scenes really in humility. Plenty. And if our hearts will be sensitive, we will allow the Holy Spirit to bring to mind some of these and we can appreciate them and we can honor them. Your prayer intercessors, do you know they are usually hidden? You don't see them? A lot of them don't want to be known at all. Okay, there are those who want to be known. Now. That's next lesson, right? When you pray, don't be like the heathens. 
But there are many intercessors that you don't know. These are powerhouses, you know. They are praying at the wee hours of the night. Those who serve in hospitality, F&B, sometimes behind, behind the scene, preparing the meals, administration. Those who are caregivers, maybe your season at this point in time is to look after an elderly. Perhaps you're looking after the sick. How about if you, are, if you know someone who's the parent of, of a child who has special needs? You know how tough that is? And these will have no time to be able to serve out there in your the more familiar type ministries that we're used to. How about grandparents who also help you know, out back at home when today the, the demands are so great on the younger parents? How about stay-at-home mothers with young children changing diaper after diaper after diaper? I was just sharing in the church camp and I shared about our keeper's awakening and I, we went through those three days and I was so encouraged when at the end, one lady came up and she said, I have been asking God for my assignment because she just had a, a, a young baby and she had stopped her work and she was so frustrated. She wanted to keep going back to the workforce. Said, Lord, what's my assignment there? What's my assignment there? What's my assignment there? And at the end of the whole thing, she said, I know my assignment. I am a mother. And although I change the diaper, I'll do it to the glory of God. Even if I have to wipe a backside for the 10th time, I will praise the Lord. See, these are the hidden assignments, my friends. Learn to honor those in secret service. If this is your season of hiddenness, be contented. Stay there. Because God can use that season to work even a new thing in your life. Point number seven, second last one. Learn to receive encouragement graciously. Everyone appreciates a word of encouragement from time to time. And that's okay. The fine line is when we cross it and we begin to, to crave it and we have to feed on it, then without it, we will die. I think that's where the problem is. Learn how to receive that graciously. Okay? Do not, as a result of today's teaching, suddenly you become falsely modest. Right? Someone comes to you and says, wow, you, you, you've done really well. Oh, no, la, no, la. Uh, don't steal my reward. Don't praise me, otherwise I've got no reward from the Father. I don't think that's the right teaching. Okay? Receive it. Receive it graciously. A simple thank you. Would be, would be enough. I think what Jesus is saying is that as you receive or not receive this, don't go fishing for such things. Because you, you can cross that line again without even knowing that. And our God is gracious. Our God affirms us. And sometimes God can send a person our way in His time to just affirm something that you are doing. And He knows exactly when you need it. Okay, so don't, don't push the way. Just receive that as something that the Lord would have prepared for you. Lastly, as always a reminder once more, always check your motive. Who gets the glory? Who desires the glory? 
See, this teaching on secret service does not contradict Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, where Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine so that the people can see it and, and give glory and praise your Father, right, in heaven. Don't look at that and say, okay, fine, um, I'm told to be shining there and I'm, now I'm, I'm not supposed to do anything down here. So which is which? Question is, what is your motivation? You see, as if you're living as how you should be as a Christian, if you're moving towards Christian maturity, if there's a moral righteousness that is growing within you, can I say something? You can't hide that. It will come out. That light will shine whether you like it or not. Amen? So don't try to hide that because to do that means to, to, to put that light under a basket. You can't. It will come out. And someone will look at that and say, wow, that's the kind of life that I admire. And if they know that you are a Christian, praise God, I hope that the, the response will be positive, that they will say, I give glory to your God and your Father in heaven. But secret service here refers to something that as we are doing, we keep it quiet, that's fine, that's okay. Don't yearn for the glory for yourself. There's always a temptation of craving a glory that belongs to God. And once again, it's a very, very fine line. And it's so easy for us to justify or to deceive ourselves. Hence, heed the warning. So let's bring this to a close. Would we be content serving in a secret service for the Lord? I believe that temptation will always be there to draw attention to ourselves, to earn the praise of men, rather than just to live for the approval of God. And as I started with this, today, the media and the social climate does not help us live this kind of a hidden life. We love our selfies. And there are reports that say those who take selfies have a psychological problem. We love the likes, right? We, the more likes we get, the happier we are. The more followers that we attract, our fan base, our popularity. And we tend to also use the name of God to justify whatever we do as Christian stuff and our actions, only to draw attention to ourselves. How do we counter this? I think there's only one solution, okay? And Jesus says this to his disciples. If you want to follow me, deny yourself. It's as simple as that. Deny yourself. Take up that cross follow me. And you know this can only be done by the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to leave you with one quote by George Mueller. George Mueller is very familiar, he's very popular, in a good way. And someone actually asked him the secret of his service. How did he, you know, what made him tick? How did he serve in such a way for God all these years? And George Mueller said this, there was a day when I died, utterly died. And as he spoke, that one line is recorded that he bent lower and lower until he almost touched the floor. I utterly died, died to George Mueller, his opinions, his preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world, its approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. 
This is George Mueller. And so I believe the key to pleasing God, to really knowing how to do that, that, that we do not seek to please ourselves, but only for the approval of God. We need to die. And we praise God that in and through the cross, those of us who believe, we have been baptized into the death of Jesus. Amen? We have died with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in us. And this life that we live, we live for Him by faith. Amen? That nothing we can do can impress God, as it were. Nothing impresses Him. He knows. He knows exactly what we're trying to do. And what would please Him is a life of faith. It's a life of denial, of sacrifice. It's a life of obedience. And so I pray for you and I pray for myself. May we be happy to serve secretly for the Lord so that our Father who sees in secret will reward us openly. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the words of Jesus. Always, Lord, He teaches so clearly and so simply. But Lord, we know to live this is anything but straightforward. Because we all still struggle with ourselves. We still struggle with our own esteem, our own image. We still struggle, Lord, to hear the approval of men. That we want to be propped up and prepped up with all these things to think and to know that we are doing well for you. Lord, we know that it is only in Christ that we can please you. And so help us, Lord, to remember that, to understand that, to know that we have died with Him the day that we believe. And now we are raised into a new life that we can serve You with obedience. So and empower and enable us, Lord. Help us, Lord, so that in our acts, we will do as best as we can, whether we are seen or not. But we know that You watch everything and You will reward. We thank You, Lord. We love You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.